My sermon today is going to focus on verses 36 through 50. We're going to finish out John chapter 12. I asked Clayton to read all of the verses of John chapter 12 because I want to make sure that we understand in context what is going on. We need to never take God's word out of context and try to make a pretext out of it. We need to make sure that we understand what we're reading and what the implications are of it, what it is that God is telling us. So verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Well, what things is verse 36 referring to? What was it that Jesus said and then went and hid himself? Well, beginning with this statement that, he, that his hour was upon him, that hour for him to be glorified, and then that explanation that his hour was an hour of death, and that all who are his will follow him in that death, and without that death, no fruit can be produced. But since he hated this life, he kept it, and in his death, he produced great amounts of fruit. That was part of those things. But part of these things also was him admitting that his soul was troubled by this hour, but that he desired to bring glory to his father more than he feared for his life. Part of these things was that because of his love and devotion to the father, that judgment is now upon this world, and that the prince of this world is now cast out. Part of these things was in him telling them that he is the light of the world that would soon be going away. And that you must believe in the light to become a son of this light. And then he departed and hid himself from them. And then John gives us commentary on this last public interaction of Jesus, beginning in verse 37. He said, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The truths of verses 37 and 38 seem to be the common occurrence for all that were the prophets of God. Because we're told in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16, they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. David wrote in Psalm 69, Because for your sake I have borne reproach, dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons, for zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became a reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of drunkards. The prophet Jeremiah suffered enough that he even cried out to the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Lord, you have deceived me. 
and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus has this to say. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. And even in the book of Acts, when Stephen was preaching the gospel to the Jewish people, he finished that um, sermon up with this. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. That's Acts 7, verse 52. With that in mind, is it no wonder that we're so hesitant to share the gospel? I mean, look at what these guys suffered when they did that. But make no make no uh, um, man, I'm missing a word here. Don't be confused about this. Everything in these verses is about evangelism. Our verses today end the chapter 12 chronicle that would <clears throat> which is the last time that Jesus would speak publicly before his crucifixion and are all centered on evangelism now i know evangelism is a touchy subject within the church it's almost as off limits as talking about giving but just so we're on the same page, let's make sure that we all know what we're talking about, what I mean when I say evangelism. The word evangelism comes from the same Greek word for gospel or good news. It means literally gospeling or telling the good news. So when we are evangelizing, we are doing nothing more or less than spreading the good news of Jesus the Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So biblically speaking, witnessing involves making visible that which is invisible. It's simply telling the truth. If you're ever called as a witness in a court case, this will be the oath that you will have to swear to. Do you, tell, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. The reality is that as Christians, we bear witness of the invisible kingdom in many ways. We do it in loving our neighbors as ourselves, in loving our church and esteeming our church members above others. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which proclaims the visible, the, the visible um, death of Jesus Christ until he comes. Doing these, these things is bringing witness to the truth of God. But it is not evangelism. Giving your testimony is a good thing. But that's not evangelism. 
Living a good, holy, and peaceable life is a byproduct of being in Christ. But that's not evangelism. We should never get these things confused. Because no matter how you live, if you have never told your neighbor the truth about Christ, you have not evangelized them. And no one is ever converted by our kindness or our honesty. They are brought into the kingdom of heaven only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But you may be sitting there thinking, I'm kind of like Moses. He cried out in protest to God that he wasn't good in speaking. And you may think that God will give you a pass, that he'll send someone else in your stead, that he won't demand that you preach the gospel. That seems like a pretty good excuse. I'm not good at talking, but it won't excuse you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33 tell us, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. As an interesting aside, though, have you ever noticed in the book of Exodus that it was Moses who actually manned up and preached the gospel to Pharaoh? That it wasn't his brother? But you may be sitting there thinking, in neither one of those two verses that you just read is evangelizing mentioned. The Acts verse says that we are to be witnesses. And David, you've shown that you can be a witness by my actions. And Matthew chapter 10 verse doesn't say that we must evangelize. It just says that if I don't publicly confess Jesus, he's going to deny me. Well, I publicly confessed him when I was baptized. Case closed. But we still have to deal with Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, but you see, even in that verse, there's no mandate to evangelize. It just says to make disciples. I'm doing that with my family. I don't have to evangelize. But what do you do with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 20? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Same ministry he had. He gave it to us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What else could imploring someone to be reconciled to Christ be other than evangelism? How else can a person be reconciled to Christ? And after Stephen was stoned, do you remember what he was doing when he was what he was stoned for? 
wait for it, he was evangelizing. We're told in Acts chapter 8, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what did these ordinary displaced believers do? The ones that were just ran out of their homes. Acts 8.4 tells us, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about evangelizing. They went about sharing the gospel with others. And here Paul, as he begins his letter to the Christians at Rome, the letter that he began by telling them that he couldn't wait to come evangelize them. Again, this was a letter from Paul to Christians. I can't wait to come evangelize you. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But you could be sitting there and think to yourself, I don't really like people. And honestly, people should go to hell because people are evil. And you're right about that truth. You may not like people, but people is not, they are not the primary reason why you should share the gospel. The gospel is not primarily for people. What? Evangelizing isn't for people? Of course it is. I'm a person, they're a person, Jesus came and died for people. Of course evangelizing is for people. Yes. People are the recipients of the gospel. But that should never be the reason that we preach the gospel. Not for people, primarily. Hear Jesus on why he came to earth. John chapter 18, Jesus answered, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the, word, in the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And listen to God through Isaiah in chapter 46. He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, says the Lord. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Did you catch why people were created? Those people that God calls as his own? Not for their happiness. Not for their best life now. They were created for his glory. And this is the reason why we should preach and share the gospel. Why we should evangelize for the glory of God. To proclaim the reality, the surpassing worth, the amazing grace and unconditional love of God revealed in the person of Jesus the Christ. This is the primary purpose of sharing the gospel, of evangelizing. People are not, but people are the receivers of the glory of God. They are the ones that are set free, that are justified and released from that eternal wrath that they rightfully deserve. A Reformed pastor was once asked why we should evangelize. 
especially since we hold to the doctrine of predestination. Since we say that none can come to Christ unless they are the elect of God, why then should we evangelize? If that's God's will, it's going to happen anyway. So why should we evangelize? His answer? Guaranteed success. Because all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus knew why he had come. And his entire life was one of evangelizing, of telling the truth of God and the truth of man. For more than 30 years of life, he lived perfectly. And he had three years of ministry. And after three years of preaching the truth of God to the people who claimed to be of God, who had the word of God, had the temple of God, we're told in verse 37 that they still didn't believe in him. Well, that's not very encouraging. Where's my motivation to evangelize if that's the truth? I mean, if people wouldn't believe Jesus, why should I evangelize? For him. Out of love and gratefulness for what he has done for you. Knowing full well that you never save anyone. It isn't about you. Look at verses 39 and 40. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is the reality of people, and even of God. We need to understand those two. Let's deal with people first. All people, all people are sinners. We don't understand that. We don't understand what that means, so it means nothing to us. A sinner is a treasonous rebel, a created being that is determined to usurp its creator. A sinner is nothing more than a cancerous blight in creation. Think about that person that's eaten up with cancer. How cancer has taken a healthy, living body, one that has been properly functioning, taken over and killed those cells and distorts that body, turns it against itself. This is what sin is is and this is what we are when adam chose to place himself on the throne of god he decided that he knew better than god and disobeyed him in eating of the fruit and loving the gift of god more than god himself and i'm not talking about him loving that fruit but him loving eve when he loved her more than he loved god he sinned. He fell from, protect, from perfection 
and sin entered into the human race and all of creation. And in that moment, he killed his heart. He died and his eyes were blinded. And the first time as an infant that you cried out, Mine, you acted in your sinful nature and began the process of storing up wrath for yourself through the hardening of your dead heart. But what about this God-hardening heart thing? What's that all about? That is God continuing just to be God. That's what this is all about. You may have experienced this a little bit in your own life. You really don't like a certain political party or a football team. And that party or that team continues to win. They continue to be in the news. And the more that you hear about them, the more that you see them, the more that they are talked about, the more that they're praised, the more that you really dislike them. This is the reality of God and sinners. The more that a sinner is exposed to God, the more that they will hate him. Doesn't that resonate with those that claim to be atheists? Those people who almost spit when they talk about God, when they mock the people of God? The more they are exposed to the truth of God, the more that their hard heart is hardened. And the thing that they hate, they really begin to hate with the fire of a thousand suns. One of the most illuminating texts from Scripture concerning the, the hardening by God is found in the book of Exodus in chapter 7, which says, And Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his, out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. There is a reality that when we evangelize, we too have been made like God to that person who we are witnessing to. I know. That's a shocking statement. But this is what Paul meant when he told us to mimic him as he mimics Christ. And this is what is meant in Acts 13.47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Because we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are in Christ. And he's in us. When we evangelize, we are proclaiming the truth of the one who is in us, who we are all bound up within. We are made God to them as we glorify God through the preaching of his truth. 
But did you notice why God hardened the heart of Pharaoh? In order that the Egyptians would know that he is Yahweh. He hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Moses didn't. He did the signs and wonders. Moses didn't. He is Yahweh. Moses, we are nothing more than his mouthpiece. And if you find this truth offensive, that God hardens hearts, then you really need to stop and reconsider your profession of faith. Because God hardening the hearts of sinners, of working disaster among them, for his glory is not just something that happened at the beginning of time. It is carried on throughout all time and will to the very end. Listen to Revelation chapter 16. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they didn't repent as to give him glory. But so much of why we do not evangelize is all bound up in our elevation of men. We think way too much of ourselves. We worry about people judging us. We worry about them not liking us. We are afraid that they will yell at us. We fear men and not God. And we must, we must repent of this sin. Isaiah could honestly proclaim the truth of God, hardening the hearts of these, his own countrymen, maybe his own family, because of one reason. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. That's not a typo. We know that Isaiah spoke of him because Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come, how he would come, and what he would do when he came, and even how he would die. He said that the Messiah would be, the blame, would be blameless and able to take away the sins of the world, Isaiah chapter 9, that he would rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom, and that he would be given his, his king, or his keys, the, the keys to his kingdom, chapter 22, that he would be the root of Jesse, Isaiah 11, that he would be the son of God, Isaiah 9, and sinless, Isaiah 53, that he would not be of the seed of Adam, but born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. Isaiah foretold of the Christ's ministry to commence in Galilee, Isaiah 9. He foretold of this Messiah being the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. And he even foretold of the future promise of Christ's return, including that every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess him as Lord, Isaiah 45. But are we to believe that Isaiah saw Jesus? Probably not. But that doesn't mean that he didn't see his glory. Because the glory of the Lord is all wrapped up in the name of the Lord, in the truth of the Lord. And for this reason, God, divinely inspiring Isaiah to foretell the coming of the Messiah, was him seeing the glory of God. And it was in seeing the glory of God that Isaiah had no heartburn 
over the truth that God would harden hearts, that he would blind eyes lest they see and be saved. Isaiah had no issue evangelizing, evangelizing a wayward nation, telling them the truth of the God that had chosen him and would redeem him from his sins. And then in chapter 12, John lets the other shoe drop in verses 42 and 43. He says there, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory of man, or the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. Well, you may be thinking, see there, there are some people that believe. Some were even leaders. And you really can't blame them for keeping their belief on the down low. After all, they probably had families to feed, jobs that they could lose if they professed Jesus as Lord. They were just being wise as serpents. But the only problem in understanding verse 43 like that, thinking that these men actually believed, and actually thinking that this is what John was saying here, speaks contrary to everything that Jesus said about loving the world or fearing man, such as in Matthew 10, verse 28, and he says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Which is the same thing that we're told in James chapter 4, which says there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? And this is what Romans 10, verses 8 through 10, is specifically speaking about. When it says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. By the way, that, that, procla that proclamation is evangelism. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. In the Romans verses, God says that redemption is a two-step process. You confess that Jesus is Lord. And he even specifies in verse 10 that you must confess with your mouth that he is. And then two, that you have to believe in your heart the truth of who God is, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, because of that belief, you are justified, which is to say forgiven, pardoned. A stay of execution has been handed down. The men in verse 42 and 43 were said to believe, but for fear of man were afraid to confess this truth. They failed that two-step process of saving belief. They had a, a profession of faith, but not a possession of faith. They may have been able to fool themselves and maybe each other, telling themselves, you can be a closet Christian and a secret agent man. But they didn't fool God. We began our text today with verse 36. 
Verse 36 is two sentences. The first is a summation of Jesus doing what he's been doing all along, which is evangelizing these unbelieving, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted people. And then the second sentence is the commentary by John in telling us that after Jesus said these things, he left and separated himself from this crowd. This then sets up the final public statement by Jesus. Jesus, after presenting the truth of the gospel to these people, after publicly proclaiming the truth of who God is and who they are, and that the only means of salvation is him, after he left them standing there, he suddenly comes back, verses 44 through 50. Which is why verses 44 starts out, Jesus cried out. And this is what he said. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. These seven verses is the summation of the gospel that he has been presenting, that he's been living, exemplifying his entire life. Here, once again, he evangelizes the people. That is to say, he tells them truth. And it took him less than a minute to present this truth to them. That's all it took for me to read that. I don't have time to evangelize. Verses 44 and 45 speak truth concerning both the Father and the Son. We have to remember that that culture that Jesus was in was not a God-hating culture. It wasn't an agnostic culture. Even the Romans and the Greeks believed in God. They just believed in, a, in many gods, not a monotheistic God. And remember the context and the place that Jesus is preaching this truth in. He's in the temple of God, of Yahweh, not a pagan deity. And who is he preaching this truth to? To the people of the nation Israel, who had been given the oracles of God. And this, his last proclamation of the gospel, with his voice, was made during the Passover week, the most holy of Jewish holidays. And what does he do? What does he begin with by telling them? The same thing that we need to begin with in our evangelism. The reality of God. The people in that crowd all claimed that they believed in God. Those people would all get up in a lather if someone they thought, was in, they thought that someone was impugning the name of God. They would get very hot under the collar about that. But they stumbled over the reality of God. The reality that he was standing there in his midst. He speaks the truth that they knew to be true because he spoke Deuteronomy 18 to them. 
which says, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you asked of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of Yahweh our God or see this great fire anymore, so that we will not die. Then Yahweh said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And I will hold accountable anyone who does not listen to my words that this prophet speaks in my name. We need to stop and really ask ourselves if we are not just like those people in that crowd on that day who were very religious, who would not deny the reality of God, who attended church regularly, who joined with the local body. These people had done all of that. And they did more than that also. They gave of their time and their possessions, not 10%. We think that is like radical. These people gave 20. And they did that, all of that, without knowing God. They did this out of selfish pride, out of a sense of belonging, wanting to fit in, out of relig religiosity. And they were offended by the reality of God. They were offended to know the truth of God. And they did not listen to the prophet that was, speak, that was sent to speak the words of God. Because Christ himself said that he was the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 21, he tells us that everyone will be affected by this cornerstone. He said, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Do you see? Belonging to Christ is not the life that is propagated in the modern evangelism. It's not the emotionalism, the smoke and lights and interpretive dancing and barking like dogs that some claim that it is. Nor is it the youth groups, the kids' wings, the one-step programs. Come as you are because Jesus loves everyone and he has a great life for you. If you would only accept it, him. What Christ offers us is of far greater value. And to get what he offers, we have to fall on this stone and be broken. That's option one. And if you fall on this stone and are broken, he will then put us back together. And what we get in coming to Christ is him. We get eternity. Is that not of more value than your personal pride? Than your sense of self-worth? than any and all worldly possessions and pleasures. Is not Christ worth everything? 
If so, then you won't stumble over obedience. Because obedience is the hallmark of a regenerate person. Did you stumble when you were told that you had to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart? Did you stumble when you were told that you had to submit to baptism? The life of Christ is one of obedience. And those things, repenting, confessing, being baptized, they're merely the beginning of being conformed into the image of God. The rest of your life, that's the hard part. Because that's when he begins to work on molding you more into his image through you submitting your pride, your selfish desires, and following him. And the more that you evangelize, the easier submitting becomes. And then in verse 46, he tells them again why he, God, came to walk among them. To be light, for whoever believes in him will not remain in darkness. The implication there is that these religious people, people who would confidently tell you that they were saved and would and could Quote chapter and verse from the Bible. These people who could show you works that were seemingly in keeping with repentance. People whose life looked religious and holy. That they were people all walking in darkness. This is why we must preach the gospel within evangelicalism. Do not accept when you ask someone, so are you saved? Yeah, I am. Okay, I don't need to evangelize that person. We need to preach the gospel within the church to those that profess to know God, to who, those that profess to be saved, because many are not. In fact, most are not. And the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. You guys ever heard that saying before, the proof is in the pudding? Well, I've actually found out that that is not the saying. The saying is the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. See, because there's things that can look like pudding that aren't. Like mayonnaise. The way that you find out if it is pudding or mayonnaise is you taste it. The proof of salvation is in the obeying. Jesus, God, who is standing there at that moment, presenting truth to them, was light. And any and all who believed in this light, who confessed this light, would no longer walk in darkness, but would be brought into this marvelous light. And then he doubles back to the proclamation of the gospel. The hardening of the hearts and the blinding of the eyes that happens through him, because of him. Verses 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Saints, there is in one respect a worse hell for those who have heard the word of God and rejected it. 
compared to the one who has only been given the full revelation of God through his creation. Because the one who has heard the truth of God, that truth, according to Jesus, is going to stand as judge against them on that day of judgment. And this is why the proclamation of salvation to unregenerate people is so damning. This is why telling those kids, you're saved, telling those people, with every eye closed and every head bowed, anybody that wants to come to Christ, just look at me and you'll be saved. Those charlatans, those men that do that, are looking to build their little kingdoms by counting heads, by keeping tallies, and patting themselves on the back or manipulating people into making an emotional statement. Giving each other trophies for who has the most baptisms in a year. And they are committing those lost souls to a deeper hell because they then tell them that they are saved. And then they expose them to the truth of the Bible, all the while making excuses as to why what it says is not what it really means. You think about all those lost souls that you knew were lost, that sat next to you at what was called church, who were given assurances of their salvation as that word was read. All those people who you knew, you knew because of their life, were not saved. And all those people who you never once ever had the courage to confront with the reality of the gospel. Those people that were affirmed by that man who was supposed to be their shepherd, but who was either himself unregenerate, unre unregenerate and for that reason could care less, or he was just a coward. You think of those people. And you think of those people as they stand before Christ on Judgment Day, secure in their entry into his kingdom. Just like these people on that day, those ones that were standing there in front of Christ, who he said were in darkness, they would say, if you asked them, are you saved? Yes, I know Jesus. I know God. Those people, standing in front of Christ, secure in their salvation, only to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Think of them as they are cast into hell, an eternal hell. And as they're being dragged there, they turn and they glimpse at you, as if to say, why didn't you care? Still don't care about people? And then Jesus finishes his gospel presentation with verses 49 and 50. He says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, 
But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Saints, the entire life of Jesus was one that was marked by evangelism because he knew the Father and he knew his holiness and he knew that all men had sinned and had fallen short of the glory of God and he knew that the wages of sin are death and he knew that none are righteous, no, not one. And he knew that he would be the propitiation for those that were the love gift from his Father to him. And he knew that he had been sent. But these verses are true for us as well. If you are regenerate, then you can say with all assuredness that you have been sent, that you have been given a commandment, and that you do not speak on your own authority. But the difference is, do you know that this commandment is eternal life? Saints, Jesus came to die. His entire life was a rescue mission to save the lost souls that were a love gift from his Father to him. But he also did come to condemn those who do not worship and bow down to re in reverence to his beloved Father. This is why his entire life he evangelized. Because he knew that his Father was worthy of all praise. And that he is a life-giving God. Do you know that the command to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know that that is a command? And do you know that this command is eternal life? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you looked upon that hill with that broken body hanging there on that cross? blood dripping from his face, from his side? Have you felt the soul-crushing weight of your sin, knowing that there was no escape from it, knowing that it follows you everywhere, that it permeated every part of your being, and that it will condemn you for all eternity, and then be told by somebody that Jesus gave it all, that he has washed away your sins, that he has made you whiter than snow, and then you knew that you were finally free, that you have peace with God, that his love is for you. Because if this is you, then obey his commandment. Don't follow the lead of the world that is the ruler of this modern evangelical church. Don't look at them and try to determine how it is to be a Christian. Because they look like the world. 
They smell like the world. They act like the world. And they will never tell you that this is a commandment. You must evangelize. Follow Christ. He has given you himself. Follow him in laying down your selfishness, your coolness, your desire to be seen as hip, your desire for an easy, comfortable life. Do you not desire him? Then give him yourself. Give him that which he purchased. You. Fear God. Fear bringing dishonor to him. Fear that he may not know you. Folks, dear saints, one sure way to kill your sin is to evangelize. Because you will not be preaching that truth of God and living a life of sin. You will not be telling others of the absolute worth and supremacy of Christ and worrying about being cool. And this is not a suggestion. It's a command from the one that you say has saved you. The one that you say is the lover of your soul. He came to give you life. And life more abundantly. But this abundant life is not found in this world. It's found in Him. Tell others the truth. Begin here with each other. Don't you see that all throughout the ministry of Christ, he evangelizes even those that are his? Don't you see that as we read, and that we actually read and see this all throughout the epistles? And the reason for this is because we are saints, entombed in bodies of death. We need to hear this truth, to be told this truth. And we, need, we, we sitting here, I need to be evangelized. You need to be evangelized. And we are required to tell this truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help us God. Let's pray.